Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. All right, church, I'm going to ask you to remain standing as we read the word God has for us today, our Galatians chapter 4. Starting in verse 21, it says this, Tell me what you want. Tell me, you who want to be under the law. Don't you hear the law? For it is written, Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and another by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born as a result of the flesh, while the other by the free woman was born through the promise. These things are being taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai and bears children into slavery. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, childless woman, unable to give birth. Burst into song and shout, You who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate woman will be many, more numerous than those of women who, have, who has a husband. Now you two brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as then the children born as a result of the flesh persecuted the one born as a result of the Spirit, so also now. But what does the Scripture say? Drive out the slave and her son, for the son of the slave will never be co-heir with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave, but of the free woman. Father, we thank you for bringing us here. We thank you for your word. And right now we just ask that you lead us in this time of worship through your word. Father, move your spirit. Give us understanding. Give us guidance. Help us to hear what you would have to say to us this morning. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, you may have a seat. We're continuing the series called By Faith, working through the book of Galatians. If you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, Dependence. Dependence. And the question that we're really going to try to get into as we spend this time together this morning, are we really dependent on God? Or... Are there other things in our lives that we've replaced our faith with? That's a question we're going to keep asking. Are we really dependent? Because I, I think there's a, a way that we think we very much are that Scripture calls us to, but I wonder if that's the reality in many of our lives and how it plays out. And dependencies are an interesting thing, and I was reminded of an incident that happened about 17 years ago in my own life. I was, uh, Rachel and I, my wife, went snowboarding, we used to do cool things together like that, uh, and I was doing my best Sean White impression, so I went off this jump in West Virginia, and uh, went off, got some good air, I uh, didn't land, though, on the board, instead I landed on my elbow, right, board went off from under me, landed on my elbow, ended up breaking my humerus, right in half, uh, was not enjoyable, wouldn't recommend it, uh, but that's what happened, why that's noteworthy for the following weeks, I was very dependent on my wonderful wife, Rachel, on random ways I never would have thought, even like eating steak. I couldn't cut my steak, so she had to prepare all my meals for me, like one arm, you'll be surprised what you can and can't do, right? And so I was very dependent in a very humbling way, because I'm, like many guys, maybe, I don't like to ask for help, Right? Not project that on you guys, right? Fellows, I'm sure you guys are nailing it. You guys are killing it with your humility. Me, not so much. 
And so I'd ask for help a lot over those weeks. I was very dependent on my wife for simple things. Now, as I was thinking about that, that's, that's a picture of the dependency we need to have on the Lord, but even so much more than that. And so that's what we're going to get into this morning. So before we get back to Galatians, the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter to the church in Galatia, this references a whole lot of history that he was pulling from that they would have known very well that maybe we don't, not so much, right? And so he's referencing two covenants, Sinai, a law, a promise, and we keep seeing this over and over in this letter to Galatians, the Galatians letter, the promise and the law. And the Apostle Paul is making this case is by faith, by faith, by faith. Nothing in your works has any internal significance to make a right standing between you and God. It's by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. He did this, not us. That's the point he makes over and over and over again. That's what point he makes here again this, this morning. But before we dive into that a little bit more, we have to go back to what the promise is, because we've referenced it a lot. And the promise comes from Genesis chapter 12. Verse 1, it says this, it says, The Lord said to Abram, who would later be known as Abraham, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And I don't want us to miss this. Through this whole passage, God makes one point clear. He is going to do this. He references himself, I, six times. I know I can be a little hard-headed. It takes me a couple times to really learn something, hear something numerous times. But God's gracious enough to continue to tell us he's the one that does what he promises to do. But do we trust it? And so he's making this promise to this aging couple who would be known as Abraham, comes from Abram, who changed his name, and Sarai, who would later be known as Sarah, this aging couple who is without kids, and Sarah was actually known to be childless and unable to make children. Barren is the word they use. So not much hope, but yet God promises, through you, many children will come. So God would bring about a great nation. And so when we see God's promise, we can't miss this, that God's promise came to Abram, Abraham, by no other reason but God's choosing. It had nothing to do with anything Abraham had been doing. God didn't pick Abraham like, you are a man of men, you are righteous, perfect, you're doing all these things awesome, you're serving way kids every single Sunday. Just saying. It's none of that. It was nothing that he did. God chose him. And we see the response, and we talked about this last time we were together a couple weeks ago, is that faith moves your feet. And so what happened is Abraham and Sarah believed, and they did what God told them. And so picture this, because I see we, Abraham has great faith, no doubt. Because here he goes, and hears this word from God, and he goes home and tells his wife Sarah, says, honey, listen, God's calling us to move. Now picture this. Sarah would be like, that's great. Where are we going? Abraham's response, I don't know. That's how that would go. And so in my like, who has greater faith? Abraham? Absolutely. I'm saying his wife. Husband, how would that go in your house? Yeah, God's calling us to move. Where, honey? I have no idea. 
But there's a U-Haul, right? That's some good faith. But they go, and they did just as God commanded because they had faith. But even over time, our faith can lack. And so God's gracious enough to give reminders, and we see that in Genesis 15 because this time later, Abraham and Sarah were still childless, still have not seen what God promised. And so in God's graciousness in Genesis 15, verse 5 and 6, it says he took, being God, took Abraham outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars. If you were able to count them. Then he said to them, your offspring will be that numerous. And it says this, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. It's extremely noteworthy. What was credited to Abraham as righteousness? He believed. By faith. Faith, even in the Old Testament. See, I think we get this out of whack. We think faith alone is a New Testament concept. It is not. It has always been God's plan to bring people to himself by faith alone. But as we've talked about, faith moves your feet for and towards God. A faithlessness moves our feet from God and focuses on ourselves. I think we know this. I mean, if we're honest, has your faith ever felt more fickle than firm? Is that just me? Thank you. Got one. Okay. It's all right. You can raise your hands in church. It's okay. We're good. But that's all of us. I know. Listen, it's not good to lie in church. So just raise your hand, okay? That's not, that's not true. It's all of us. We, there's times our faith just shifts. But I'm bringing this up because it's a check engine light that you need to be aware of. And what do I mean? When you're driving your car and this little light indicator comes on that looks like an engine illuminates, it means there's something wrong. So you can put a piece of tape over it and hide it. It doesn't hide the fact that something is wrong that needs to be addressed, right? In the same way, when our faith becomes fickle and shallow, it's a check engine light that maybe our faith has shifted. And not a maybe. Our faith has shifted from something to something or someone else that's not God. That's when anxieties, fear, stresses, concerns really creep in. And we have to take every thought captive in Romans 12, 1 kind of way, and 2. Being transformed and renewing of our mind. And that's what happens here. They go from people that believed to they start doubting. And we come to Genesis 16, and they still don't have kids. And now Sarah knows the promise, but then it makes a recommendation. She says, Abraham, my husband, paraphrasing, I have this slave. Her name's Hagar. She says, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children... Go to my slave. Perhaps through her, I can build a family. Who's the focus on there? On herself. And then what did Abraham do? Did he, was he the man that stepped up and led and helped his wife see God's plans and purposes? Not so much. It says, and Abraham agreed. And this is a reminder how we can really go back and forth in our faith walk. And how the temptations to take control are very present. And there's some verses in the Bible that I think that every Christian should memorize. Or at least know. And Proverbs 3 verse 5 is one of them. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
And do not what? Do not lean on your own understanding. I think we need to have that in our mirror in the morning. I think we need to, you know, put it on your arm. I don't know. What we, but I intend to lean on my own understanding and not on God at all. That's my drift. I simply think about it like this. I, and maybe you're like me. We tend to be less proverb people and more verb people. What I mean is the more take action first and then see where everything lands and they consider what God had for me. Like do things first and then pray later. And that usually does not work out well. You ever experienced that? Like just do, do, do and like, oh my goodness, I just jacked everything up, right? Hey, that's just me. This is what happens with Abraham and Sarah. They knew God's plans and promises and yet they see, you know what, maybe God needs a little help. You ever been there? You know, I know what God, look, God's word says, and I know he has plans and purposes for my life, and I feel like he's doing destruction, but the timing just doesn't line up. I think he needs some help. Let me jump in because of all my strengths and awesomeness and help out God. And Abraham did. He took Hagar as his wife, and she became pregnant and ultimately had a son named Ishmael. Now, what was it that God had promised to Abraham? Was that the promise? Was that the purpose? No. And shocker, their plans made everything worse. It didn't make things better. They got in their way and stumbled over themselves and made things worse. We come to see that Hagar, the slave woman, became contemptible to Sarah because she became pregnant and Sarah still wasn't. It didn't help. It became a curse to Sarah. And then Sarah turns around and blames Abraham for her suffering. Right? And then to Paul on, Abraham makes the problem worse by his passivity. He was failing to lead. Listen, our church, we believe there's a complementary approach between a husband and wife that the Bible shows. Equal in worth, equal in value before God, distinct in roles. We're not the same. Not the same. By God's glory and for a better holistic family, there is a complementary. We complement each other. And really my, real quick sidebar, this is, why, this is why we stay so long on Sunday mornings, but it's noteworthy. For those who have been through marriage counseling with me, I make a point every time I go through Ephesians 5 and talk about the distinctions, because it seems like the women need our help. Like, the men are the rescuers in this, and so men, we're coming in to leave because we're these mighty, mighty warriors, and women are to just come along, and that's not what the Bible shows. Actually, I think it's a flip-flopped approach. If you go back to Genesis, the first problem was man was alone, and then he needed help. And so what does God do? Created a woman. Now, if I'm reading it right, man needed help. So he created woman. Man was incapable. Do you hear what I'm saying here? So in my view, it's actually flip-flop. We need our wives. See, see, fellas, real quick. I'm trying to set you all up. That should mean some men all around the room saying amen. That's going to be a lunchtime conversation. Anyway, but it matters a whole lot. So men are not to be passive leaders in the house. We have to follow the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to help our families to do the same. 
But a passive approach like Abraham did, it didn't work for Adam either, right? Adam stood by passively while his wife fell in temptation and did nothing. And you see that over and over again. And so why did their plans go so south so quickly? Things got really bad. Well, I'm convinced, you see this in Scripture, they did not even consider approaching God again. Like, God, this plan seems right. This is how most of my prayers go, just to be totally transparent. God, this seems right in my eyes, like whatever this is. But I don't know, so I trust you. So, God, you give me wisdom. You give me discernment on what you want me or us to do. That's not what they did. They just did first. Their dependence was not in God. And then two, their belief turned to disbelief because God didn't provide in ways they wished they would within the time frame they thought he should. So they thought, well, we'll step in and do this thing that God promised and we'll make our own kids. That wasn't God's plan or purpose in that scenario. But it's important, I don't want us to miss this, that God didn't give up on Abraham and Sarah. Just because they took a misstep in following him, though it was a pretty big misstep, his promise to them wouldn't fail. And in God's grace, he confirms again his covenant with Abraham, this promise that he gave in Genesis 17. Verse 1 says, God says, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. Again, the emphasis is on God. He's saying, Abraham, remember, I am going to do this. Trust me. Do you believe or don't? Like, there's no middle ground in our faith. Either you believe him or you don't. Either he did and he is what he says or he's a liar. Which do you choose? And he says this, your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will name him Isaac. And finally in Genesis 21, we see that Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham. It says in his old age, amen for us old dads up here, at the appropriate time it says, at the appropriate time God had told him, Abraham named his son to be born to him, the one that was born through Sarah, Isaac. And here's the what we need to see, there's good news and bad news regarding sin. The good news is simply, 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sin, He, being God, is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the good news. The bad news is our choices still have consequences. God forgives us, but the damage may be ongoing. Here, specifically, their choices continue to cause conflict in their family. And later on in Genesis 21, Sarah saw Ishmael mocking. And so she said to Abraham, drive out this slave with her son, Hagar and Ishmael, for the son of this slave will not be a co-heir with my son Isaac. And this is what Paul is pulling from in this Galatians 4 passage. And the Apostle Paul is going to take this very real account to use them to illustrate the reality of God's grace. So when he says, talking about the two covenants that he's going to talk about figuratively, he's taking real accounts, but he's going to make a real illustration. In verse 24, 
And he says these two covenants in Galatians 4.24. Number one, the, the Mosaic covenant is what he's pointing to. This is Hagar representing the Mosaic covenant. That is the law that was given to God's people through Moses. He talks about this enslaved the law reveals how enslaved we are to sin, and that's what we cannot miss. The law was good. We've talked about this number, numerous times in this, this series, but it reveals how enslaved we are to sin. Not only can we not keep God's commands, right? We've talked about this. I mean, think about sexual morality. We think we're pretty good until Jesus says even lust leads us to say, uh-oh, right? Murder, and Jesus says even anger and coveting. That's a sin. This is never any pursuit of stuff and satisfying yourself when your stuff wasn't meant to satisfy you. God is. And so when we start being real with what God's commands are, it's very clear and becomes very clear quickly that we can't keep God's commands. And then take a step further, like we've talked about numerous times, we can't even keep our own commands. Right? Like, today, I'm going to be finally be patient. Right? God, I'm going to be patient today, and it lasts about one stoplight in your commute, and patience is out the window. And maybe you can only make it that far. It's hard to make it out of the house. Like, think about the things, like, I'm going to do this, and an hour into it, there it goes. We can't even keep our own commands. And so when we see the law, the law in itself is enslaving if... You believe that you can earn a right standing before God by perfectly obeying at every point the law. And that's what Paul was trying to prevent. James 2 verse 10 says, Forever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point, is guilty of breaking them all. Let's play a little game. Play a little game. Can we do that? It's okay. I'm going to do it anyway. Simon says, you guys know how this works? Simon says you do something, you do it. If Simon doesn't say you don't do it, right? Everybody got this? So let's do this together. This will be fun, right? We can, we can play games in church. Everybody's like, you can do this in church? Yeah, sure. All right, you ready? This is full. Listen, worship is participatory, right? Get you guys moving, right? All right, let's do this, right? Simon says raise your right hand. Simon says raise your left hand. Simon says raise your uh, lower right hand. Simon says lower your left hand. Simon says raise your right hand. Le- left arm out. See, some of y'all did it. See, and now you're out, and you smacked your neighbor, right? <laughs> but this, the law, if you stumble at one point, you're out. The game is over. You have sinned and are completely separated from God for eternity. This is a silly game to illustrate a very severe point. Not only does our sin cause damage to ourselves and those around us, but there's an eternal impact that our sin causes, and that we cannot keep the law perfectly. And the point is, by God's grace, the law should drive us to dependence on him and not a self-dependence on our own works, because we can't. And any hint of self-dependence should be extremely pushed and fought at every point away. So this is the Mosaic covenant that he's talking about through Hagar, but then there's a second covenant through Sarah, that's the Abrahamic covenant that we spent this time talking through, this promise that was given to Abraham. And there's one verse that if I could sum up this Abrahamic covenant was what we saw in Genesis 15:6. Abraham, or God gave Abraham this promise, and it says, Abraham believed the Lord and credited to him as righteousness. 
Romans 4 quotes the same passage, but it says this way. If, if Abraham was justified, it poses this question. If Abraham was justified by works, meaning if you could do these things to have a right standing with God, if you can do these things to earn your way into heaven, if you could do these things to have your sins erased, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Continue to make the point that it's been by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, since creation, since the fall. This goes back to what we saw a couple weeks ago in Galatians chapter 3, verse 25, 26, and 29, which says, But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, that is reference to the law, for through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. And so when you start looking up at the sky and seeing the stars, no, that was a promise given to Abraham, and that includes you if you're in the part of the faith family by faith alone in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. God's still building his people. And Jesus says it this way, for God so loved the world in this way, in John 3, he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him was not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he did not believe in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the faith we have. If you believe, you inherit eternal life. If you believe that Jesus paid the price for your sin, then your sins are forgiven because they've been washed away by his sacrifice, his blood poured out on the cross for you, the death that you deserve but couldn't die because you couldn't stand it. He did that for us. He lived a perfect life that we couldn't live because we could not do it. So it's by God's grace alone that he bore the severity of our sins on that cross. God's wrath was poured out on Jesus the wrath that we deserve, but he took our place. If you believe, it's applied to you. This is what condemnation is, right? It's a separating from God, really God leaving you to your choosing. You can want God now or don't, but that's the path that you choose. If you don't want God now, why would you want him for eternity? And the problem is, he created hell, which is a very literal, real place for the devil and his angels, but yet, everyone who rebels and rejects him, that's your eternity. And I think we're so far to, so scared at times in church to talk about what the Bible says about eternity, and specifically the reality of hell, because so many years ago, that's all churches preached, right? Hell, fire, and brimstone. You guys remember those days? I don't. I'm too young, Right? But still, we go so far, God is love. Praise God, yes. But he's also just. And he'd be very unjust if he didn't punish sin. And really, he took the punishment for our sin already. But it's only applied if you believe and receive that. So my question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that? For some of us, we need to go back to remember God's grace in our lives, that even while we're dead in our sins and trespasses, God made us alive in Christ Jesus by faith at some point. But maybe for some of you, you're still walking in your own goodness. And I need us to realize that the Bible says no one is good. Not even one. And that's not to say that you're worthless because God has extreme 
value of you. You were created in his image to be with him, yet our sins have separated us from God. But he did something about that through Christ Jesus to bring you to himself. And I'm asking, do you believe that? Can you say for the shadow of doubt that right now at this moment, you are standing in a right relationship with God? Galatians then 4.28 tells us that now you two brothers and sisters like Isaac are children of the promise. And it encourages us. It says we're called, right? It talks about we're called to drive out anything or anyone that says otherwise. That is, it says that you need to do this and this and this, and then you may inherit eternal life. We need to recognize those as lies. These lies that pull us away from dependence on God to the weakness of self-dependence. This is what he says in Galatians 4, 30 and 31. But what does the scripture say? It says, drive out the slave and your son, for the son of the slave will never be a co-heir with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So a couple points I want us to look at here is, one, we need to drive out any false teaching of workspace saving. And that was what was going to be compatible here. You have to be, the, the issue of the day was these Judaizers came in and said, yeah, Jesus, sure, and this, and this, and this, and this. And I'm telling you, that hasn't changed much today. We just got back from Puerto Rico, thanks to you being an ascending church. We, on behalf of you, went down to Puerto Rico to serve in Iglesia Baptista Camino de Gracia down in Vilaba, Puerto Rico. It's taken me two weeks to learn that, Okay. And what are we serving? They're a church plant, about two years old, and they're working in a very hard area. You know why it's hard? Because it's full of devout Catholics. And I'm not going to be trying to be sensitive to this, because there's all kinds of heresy that's being grabbed into, and they're being lost in this heresy of this worst bakes nonsense, and are being led astray. Led astray. And there's such a hardness to the gospel. If you've been down there on a trip, you know we go and share the gospel, there's such a hardness to the gospel. And this is basically the same kind of nonsense that we're addressing then. Not much has changed in 2,000 years. The same, you have to do and do and do, and yeah, Jesus something, and do and do and do, and it's just nonsense. Jesus did it or he didn't. Either blood was sufficient or it wasn't. At one point, we were going down there and we walking around neighborhoods, and we're sharing the gospel, and this one guy comes up to me, and you know, I can't understand anything because I don't speak a lick of Spanish, which isn't good in Puerto Rico, but we have a translator, Right? And basically, he goes, you guys aren't Christians out here doing this. How dare you doing this, being sharing the news about Jesus by faith alone? It's an abrasive thought if you're raised in a culture that you have to do, do, or belong to a certain group. So we need to drive out any works-based false teaching. Ephesians 2 clearly says, 8 through 10, for you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It's God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So do we do good things? Absolutely. But why is the question? It's the why behind the what. We do good things because of an overflow of God's love in us not to earn God's love for us. There's a vast, vast salvation difference. Number two, we're to drive out any hint of false thinking of self-dependence. Two things I just want to point to quickly 
the disciples were with Jesus, and they come to Jesus because they saw Jesus' passion for prayer and his persistence in prayer and thriving prayer life. And these disciples, they knew how to pray. They knew what to say. But Jesus' prayers were different. And so they come to him and say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. They're asking, teach us how to pray like you. And what Jesus says in Matthew 6, he says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And note the emphasis on God and his will. I wonder if our prayers sound like that. Or more like, God, I need you. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. Do this. Do this. Do this. Which has its place and purpose. But how much do we honor God just for who he is in our prayer life? And how much do we surrender our own schedules and our own plans, our own purposes to God's will? And so Jesus taught them to pray like this, and then he did it. And that's what we see in the moments before he was betrayed and crucified. He was in the garden praying. Do you remember this? Jesus was praying. And what did he pray? In Luke 22, it says, he's praying, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. And this cup was representative of God's wrath going to be poured out on sin in its entirety. And he said, God, if you're willing, take this cup from me. But then he says this. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What would your prayer life look like if that was our dependence? If we're dependent on God like that? Like, I know I have pretty good plans. These make sense, but God, not my will, but yours. And even though if it's hard, I think God's calling me to something very hard. And I don't even like it. And it doesn't make me happy. And just to know, God doesn't care about your happiness. He cares about your joy. Do you trust him enough says, yet your will be done? Jesus wasn't happy to go to the cross. Do we realize that? He wasn't happy, but he was obedient because he knows God's will is better. And I wonder, do we? I think we think our will is better and God needs help, so we just step in, step in, and step in. We don't even consider God may have something different. And don't even seek his will for our life. My encouragement for you is starting now and every morning for the rest of your life, with the prayer, God, your will be done, not my own. And see how that shapes the rest of your day. And what we see here is that there's freedom in surrendering any self-dependence of our will to dependence on our will because of who God is. Colossians 1, 15 through 20, and we're going to wrap it up here in a minute with this. Because we're talking about surrendering our plans, our will to his. He is worthy to have our plans and hold them in his hand. It says this about Jesus. It says, he is the image of the visible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the invisible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created for him and through him. For he is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that we might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. 
And I don't know if you caught that, but all things is all things. And so Jesus is in all things, for all things, through all things, all things hold together for him. And so when we talk about surrendering our will to his, I think he's worthy of it. But it comes with humility. And that's the hard part. It takes us humbling ourselves to realize we need God more than we think. In every aspect, we need him. James 4 verse 10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. See, we get it flipped. We want to exalt ourselves. And then when we get humbled because of our own poor choices, then we may well approach God. I don't know about you, but I don't want God to humble me first. I'd rather humble myself before he humbles me because one, one of those two things will happen. So as we think about this, I just want to encourage you to realize and think through and pray through, God, where am I self-dependent? What are areas that I'm controlling? What are areas that I'm afraid to surrender over to you? I mean, for some of us, our finances... Others are family, maybe our future. Where are you fearful to hand over to God like he is untrustworthy? I'm going to ask us to consider that. And as God reveals, I'm going to encourage you to repent because it's good. It's good to show when God shows us an area that we've fallen short. It's by his grace to call you back to himself. And kind of like with my dependence on Rachel for even cutting my steak. How much more do we need dependence on God for every single thing in every single day? I'm going to encourage you to really come before the Lord in this point and ask God, show me where I've been self-dependent and give me the faith to be more dependent on you. And this is what we're going to do. We're just going to have a time of prayer. So I want our church to really be a house of prayer because it pleases God and we need him. So let's start right now, just in a moment of prayer. And so what we're going to do, I'm just going to invite you into the season of prayer. And I'm not going to say a word for a few moments. I'm going to encourage you to respond to what God's doing in this moment, in this room, in your life right now. And that could be a whole bunch of things. Maybe you've seen a, a pride welling up inside you, control issues, maybe self-dependence that you need to just come before God and surrender and say, God, I'm sorry. Help me be more dependent on you. Maybe for the first time you're realizing, man, I, I'm not sure I have a relationship with Jesus. I don't want you to leave here without knowing for sure whether you do or don't have a relationship with Jesus. And be firm in what God is doing. If you confess your sins and surrender to Jesus as King, Lord of your life, the Bible says you will be saved. Done. Promised. Guarantee. So you just pray that right where you are. So this happens just a time of prayer, just between you and the Lord. After a few moments, I'll close this time, but just use this time to respond to what God's doing. Let's pray together.
Father, we come before you as people who just need you. Lord, I ask that you continue just to reveal areas that we have drifted from you into self-dependence, into pride and arrogance. Lord, bring us back to yourself. Lord, those areas that we have sinned and fall short, help us remember that your promise, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and righteous to forgive us all sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, let us walk in your promises that we are children of yours because of our faith alone and Christ alone, by your grace alone, and walk in this promise that we have this relationship with the creator of the universe and we get to come to you as Abba, Father, this daddy relationship. God, you are so good. I just pray this moment, your love just washes over the room. Your presence fills this place. Remind us of who you are, and because of who you are, who we are in you, that we're chosen, that we're loved, and that we're children of yours. And let that launch us into this week of boldness and excitement, and no matter what life brings at us or deals to us, that we know that you don't change, that you're with us through it all, in it all, that you'll never leave us or forsake us. These are the promises that you have for us, and we know that you are true and you're faithful. So we put our faith fully in you and help us to avoid those traps of our faithlessness. We thank you, Father. And we pray all this in the name that's above every name. That is the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.